I can think of many instances where I've looked at another account and I they have, you know, five times as many followers as we do. We're, we're a growing brand and, and I'm, I'm very pleased with our numbers, but sometimes I see these numbers and I think, man, how'd they get these tens of thousands of followers? And then I look at their posts and there's like very little engagement, significantly less engagement than we have. What's up, everybody? Alex here with Food Marketing Nerds and thank you for tuning in to another episode. On the show today, we've got Lauren Schaefer of Michelle's Granola, and we're talking all about social media and how to find what works best for your brand. Michelle's Granola is a fast-growing brand that makes delicious small-batch granola products that you can find in stores all across the country. Since joining the company, Lauren has grown into her role as marketing manager, where she leverages the social media data that she sees to constantly improve how Michelle's Granola communicates with their customers. In this episode, you'll learn why your current approach to Facebook and Instagram is probably too similar, what brand partnerships can do for you on social that influencer marketing doesn't, how to organically get more positive reviews on Amazon, and plenty more. So let's go chat with Lauren. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Lauren, welcome to Food Marketing Nerds. Thanks for having me on. So can you tell our listeners just a, a little bit more about yourself and Michelle's Granola and how you came to be the marketing manager? Sure. Michelle's Granola is a small batch bakery. We bake granola by hand with scratch ingredients. And I came to the company, I actually, my background way back in the day is in the arts. And then I sort of moved from the arts to arts nonprofit. And then I was in sales for a few years and I was in a position where I wanted to make a big change with where I was going, and food and healthy lifestyles are something I've always been really passionate about. At the same time, Michelle's granola was going through a big change in that um, Michelle herself was ready to start a family and needed some help around the office so that she could have her baby and focus on um, that. And so at the same time, when I was looking for a change, I was actually going back to get a certificate in health coaching, and I wanted to work for a company that I could really believe in. And it was just kind of perfect timing. So I came on board. I was managing the office, but I had this big background while I was studying to be a health coach. I, I had this big background in sales and marketing that wasn't really being put to use. And as often happens in a small business, the longer I was here, the more some of those skills started being put to use. And um, we had someone at the time who was doing our social media, but as she was physically moving away and was not as connected with the with the brand, it was the perfect timing for me to come on board and sort of pull all of the skill set that I had together in sales and marketing, but also in the world of food and healthy eating to um, do the marketing here. So when you first started the marketing and social media, where, where did you really start? What was your first step into that role? Well, when we had someone who was in social media, but she wasn't on site, I sort of became the mediator. So we have a really great story to tell here at Michelle's Granola. And if you're not on site, you kind of miss all this this great story happening. And so I started by sort of putting together that story and sort of letting the person who was managing the social media know what was going on. So, you know, maybe I was snapping a couple of pictures. What's cool about our company is that everything really is done by hand. And so sort of telling that story and letting the person know, hey, you really want to talk about how we pat every pan by hand and that we put every batch in the oven and we package every bag. And so kind of reminding her about that story. So I was really focused at first on the story. And that's kind of how how I started kind of transitioning into that role. 
And I know that really is an important part of social media in general. So how do you still weave that into into the current social media efforts that, that you're pushing along? I think we have a great story to tell. And the trick is, I don't want to tell the same story every single day. But on the other hand, I might tell a story one day and not all of our customers or potential customers are going to see that story. So I do have to retell that story kind of over and over again. So the way that I like to work, I sort of keep myself organized. I use Excel and I use a paper calendar, can you believe it, um, to sort of <laughs> jot down my, my thoughts and, and where I want to focus and sort of remind myself to, to tell the story in different ways so that I'm not saying the same thing every day. Um, but so that we really hit on the points. We know what excites us about our work, and we know what our customers get excited about. So it's kind of finding ways to organize the message that we want to send so that, again, we're not saying the same thing over and over, but that we're saying it often enough that if you miss the message eight times, you might catch it on the ninth time. Can you give a little backstory of what is Michelle's Granola's story, and then how does that propagate out to the strategy and the actual content that you're producing? Sure. So there is a Michelle. She actually founded the company back in 2006. She's a self-taught baker and she was experimenting in her own kitchen with creating a granola cereal and came up with a really delicious recipe and at first was sharing with friends. And then she became sort of a one woman farmer's market show where she took her um, granola to the markets um, or a market in D.C., Washington, D.C., where she was originally based. And then it sort of grew and grew from there. The company really grew organically by people tasting the granola and loving it. And then as, you know, some other opportunities came up, she was able to expand a little bit and set up a kitchen in Baltimore, actually rented a commercial kitchen in Baltimore. And since then, the company's grown pretty significantly. There are now um, 35 staff on board who make, bake, package, deliver, market, and sell the granola. Um, But even as the company is growing, the thing that's really important is Michelle didn't want to outsource the baking of the granola and and work with a co-packer. Lots of great companies work with co-packers, but that's just not, that's not where her heart is. She wants to have the granola made by people that we know and love. And it still is. So even as the company grows, some people will come and they may visit our bakery and they expect to see a factory. They expect to see, you know, big equipment and conveyor belts and lots of people pressing buttons. And they're always surprised when they see people using their hands and making every batch, every small batch by hand. Hmm. Um, It's a, a really cool company. We also use ingredients that you would only recognize as real food. So we only use ingredients that you would find in your own well-apportioned pantry. I say well-apportioned. Um, but uh, but th- th- there's nothing that we put in our granola that you wouldn't recognize as food. And that's really important to us, too. Do you think that's even possible for an outside outside help to, to help with social media or marketing when your story is so based around what's happening on the interior of the company that everything is made by hand and it's it's just wholesome yeah. goodness, really? Yeah, that, that's a very nice way of putting it. It is wholesome goodness. Um, it, it, it would be a tough story to tell if you're not here for the day-to-day. You know, I think that when we share those photos and we talk about our team, many of our customers really get excited about that. On the other hand, that what I've also found is that in some outlets, for example, on Instagram, well, and maybe this is sort of helpful in sort of talking about our strategy. Um, I had been managing our Facebook and Twitter feed for some time when I knew we needed to be on Instagram. 
Um, I knew that we wanted to reach a little bit of a younger market, the more millennial market. There's a, a, a big world of foodies um, on Instagram that I felt like we were missing out on. So I took over our feed reluctantly at first. And now I love it. I love Instagram, but I, I took it over reluctantly at first because it seemed like a lot of, of work. Um, and I started posting sort of the, the same content. So, for example, I would post a photo of Michelle in the bakery doing something on Facebook. People love that. So I would then say, oh, no, I'll post this on Instagram. And what I found was our followers on Instagram did not care. They did not really care about those those images from inside the bakery the same way that our Facebook fans did. And what I found was that what was more important on Instagram was photos of the food. People wanted to see the granola looking delicious. And that's certainly not a problem for us to do. But it was kind of a surprise for me to see that the same things that resonated on Facebook are people, um, our hands, our, our baker's you know, hands actually breaking the granola into chunks or our packaging team packaging the granola into bags, well, that would blow up on Facebook, really didn't move anyone on Instagram. So what I started to find was on Instagram, certainly the granola looking delicious, but also the, the third-party verification. So not just us telling you and showing you that our granola is delicious, but other people showing how they were enjoying the granola and showing how they found it to be delicious was more important. So it, it sort of was um, a surprise for us, um, certainly a big surprise for me to see that we really had to curate those feeds differently. And in fact, our people were not as important. Our values are, are certainly important in Instagram, but visually um, it's such a different uh, media that, that actually some of the things that we thought were so important and what really sold our granola were not exactly the same selling points on Instagram. That's really interesting. So do you have a, a thesis as to why that might be? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think because Instagram is a really visual medium, first of all. I mean, it's photos. I think that people are really interested in seeing the food. And I don't think, I, I will say that I think that many of our followers and friends and fans on Instagram care about our values, but they don't necessarily need to see visually and they're not excited to see that visually. They're there for the visual of the food. And it's important that, you know, the I think who's behind the brand is very important, but that's not necessarily what they want to see. What I found was I could sort of put that into our Instagram stories, which I was thrilled when that came out. So it gave me the opportunity to show the people behind these beautiful bowls of granola and still, you know, let people see that that's part of the story behind of what we do. So it, our Instagram story sort of becomes the behind the scenes and our Instagram feed becomes this beautifully curated food images. Makes me want to jump into the Instagram stories feature. So how, how have you been leveraging that and what kind of results have you seen? Instagram stories is really tough to measure impact frankly. We do get some messages and feedback sometimes as people see, they see the stories and every once in a while we get some messages, but it, it's really tough to measure impact on that. It's a, it's a fairly new tool. And so the same way that um, Instagram really over the last year or so has rolled out more tools for analytics, right now it's tough to really measure that impact. I'm someone who likes data, so I don't like to say, well, my gut tells me that it, you know, <laughs> that it that it does this or that. But frankly, that's all we've got right now. We continue to use Instagram stories because it's kind of fun. Um, I, I think it's kind of fun to share the behind the scenes. We do get comments about that. And so and and part of it is, you know, maybe it, it's my stubbornness saying, but people should be excited. I want them to be excited to see people pulling pans of granola out of the oven. And when they weren't excited about those photos in our feed, I kind of feel like, well, 
I'm going to still give it to them. And, and so, you know, they're, they're still going to get to see that story, whether they're, you know, as, as excited about seeing the, the pans coming out of the oven as they are seeing, you know, a beautifully styled smoothie bowl or not, they're going to get it. <laughs> so, yeah, as, as you're mentioning, some of it is really gut feel of, okay, I can yeah. tell, feel this is resonating. And then, as you mentioned, analytics is extremely important, not just to you, but to, to, to the mm. business as a whole to gauge what's working and, and what's worth spending spending more budget on. So are, are you using anything in particular to measure those analytics and gauge what performs better on Instagram versus Facebook? There's a lot of really fancy tools out there um, that allow you to measure a million things and count a million things. Um, but frankly, we're, we're not that big of a company. And, and um, I find that the tools that are native to Instagram and to Facebook give us a lot of data, in some cases, maybe too much data. So what I like to do is sort of to look for a few key pieces of data that, that sort of inform me. So for example, on Instagram, you know, they have decent analytics to see um, what gets the most engagement, what gets the broadest reach. And Facebook has those same tools, obviously. So I can see what gets the most engagement and the most reach. The discipline is that every, you know, certainly every day or so I'm, I'm kind of checking in and peeking in on those tools. But once a month I go in and I really analyze things and I look at what kinds of posts, what kinds of photos are resonating the most because I want to post more of those and what are resonating the least because I want to post less of those. Um, I'm also looking at day of the week posts. Um, it's something so simple, but I realize that there's, you know, there's some days of the week where I may post a gonzo photo that I know should take off based on, you know, analytics that I've seen before and it doesn't go anywhere. And sometimes some days of the week just don't budge for us. So knowing that, I sort of save posts that I think are really, really special that are really going to blow up. And I might save those for the days when I know we historically have gotten greater engagement. But just knowing those pieces, I think, is really important for a business um, so that you don't, you know, have these you know beautiful photos and beautiful stories and exciting announcements that go totally under the radar because they got posted on, you know, a weekday where you have less engagement. So could you give a specific example of what that maybe home run piece of content is that you just have this gut feeling this is going to do extremely well on this day? Yeah. So I think stories, so on Facebook, and I will say specific to Facebook, we get a lot more excitement about the growth of our business than we do on Instagram. So we are right now, we're in about actually more than 500 stores and food service locations along the mid-Atlantic and in the southwest of the U.S. And we had a period where we brought on a bunch of new stores in a short period of time. And so I knew that was going to be a piece that was going to go over really well on Facebook. And I saved it up for a Friday morning because Friday mornings for us tend to be a time where we have a lot of engagement. And so I posted a post on Facebook letting people know, hey, we're in these several new stores and many more. Make sure and check in on our store locator. And boy, that blew up, which was really nice to see. So we know that people are excited about our business. Um, I've posted previously sort of um, other things like that uh, about the growth of our business. And if I didn't hit them near the end of the week, if I hit them earlier, they just didn't get the same engagement. So I've learned that those kinds of posts will do well but they're going to do better if I put them on a, the, on a Friday. Interesting. And yeah. So what about Instagram? 
Yeah, Instagram, I think we're still certainly learning there. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that was a surprise to me. I had seen, and I continue to see on many pages, takeovers are a really fun way to engage um, your followers. So you have someone who's already, who loves your brand, and you have them take over your feed for a day, or maybe two days, maybe ending with a giveaway, where they share posts of really delicious things that they've made with your product. And so I'd seen those. I thought, this is great. We're going to do these too. This will be fun. So I invited a, a few of our followers to do those, and I expected those to really blow up. I, I was super excited. And so I wanted to make sure that I could measure. So um, I make sure in a, uh, anytime we do any kind of promotion on Instagram, I always write down how many followers we have right before it starts. This is something a lot of people forget to do because um, how do you measure the impact if you don't count your new followers? So I write down the uh, how many followers we had, and then we ran. We had a few takeovers over a period of time. And we saw really small bumps in engagement. They were pretty small. Um, they were fun. It was fun working with our um, influencers and getting them on board and, and running the little promotions. It was really fun. But in terms of bang for our buck, we didn't get a huge increase in followers. I was positive. I just had this gut feeling we should get a lot more out of these. On the other hand, when we partner with other food brands and we put up posts either featuring other food brands or doing giveaways with other food brands, those we see tremendous increase in followers. And it was actually significantly more than what we saw with our um, takeovers, even though the takeovers had a giveaway component. So that was kind of a surprise to me. Um, and using the data, just simple data of looking at engagement on the posts and looking at increase in followers. Those are two small pieces of data that anyone can easily track. Um, but it gave us a lot of information to see, you know, where, where do we want to put, you know, do we want to do more takeovers or do we want to do more giveaways? Um, and certainly we'll still continue to do the takeovers, but it was very easy to see where we get the greatest engagement and the greatest increase in followers was with the giveaways with other food brands versus other influencers. That's really interesting because uh, influencer marketing is all all the hype right now, obviously, and it mm -hmm. has been for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. So when you're actually going out to to engage a potential partner who's also uh, also in the food industry or another food brand, how do you first contact somebody like that? Well, um, before we even contact them, we, we always want to make sure that we're going to be contacting or working with a brand that sort of fits into our values. I wouldn't want to work with a brand, and certainly we've been approached by brands that may use artificial flavors and sweeteners or that, you know, have sort of a focus that's just a little bit outside of our values. So before I even approach a brand, I want to make sure I kind of vet them a little bit and make sure that, that we're on the same page there. And then I'll just reach out. Sometimes I'll email, sometimes I'll message on Instagram, but just messaging and saying, hey, I think we probably have a lot of friends in common. Do you want to do some kind of collaboration and just take it from there? And is there a sweet spot of the size of Instagram accounts that you're going after or the, the other brands, or is it just more... Uh, looking for brands with similar values to get that synergy that way. Yeah, I, I think I start with the similar values. Um, if there are two different brands that make a sort of a, a similar kind of a product and one has a, a bigger following, one has a lesser, I might go for the one that has a bigger. But in some cases, I go for the one that has a lesser. I also, I, I kind of think back to when I took over our Facebook or our, our Instagram account and we had like, you know, a hundred something uh, followers and I thought, you know, how do I build this thing up? And I did reach out to much bigger brands. And so 
some of them said, sure, let's do something. So I remember that too, um, knowing that sometimes, you know, a brand might have some really loyal followers and they, they need a little bump and it's, it's, it's kind of fun to, to see brands grow. So I'll sometimes partner with a smaller brand too. I, I don't discriminate. I think um, part of it, and I'll, I'll be honest, part of it sometimes is I really like this brand personally. Um, and, and so I, I know that it's a great product and I, I want to partner with them because of that. So sometimes I still use that gut feeling, even though the data might tell me differently. And so what does that partnership really look like from a, if you send us product or we'll purchase product, we mm-hmm. can take a photo, you post it, we'll post it and do a giveaway. Or is that, am I, am yeah. I missing something? Yeah, cause it's, it's kind of like that. I mean, when, when the tide comes in, all boats float a little higher. Um, I'm a huge believer in collaboration. I'm a huge believer in partnerships, leveraging the partnerships. Let's all, you know, work together maybe. So for example, we might say, Hey, let's just exchange product and, and, just exchange product. Um, and I'll take some photos, you take some photos, we'll see how it goes. Other times it's really deliberate. Um, so for example, I may say, okay, I'd like to do a, uh, a healthy snacking for back to school promotion. I'm going to reach out to, you know, X number of brands and I'm going to tell them all, Hey, I want to do this specific promotion this specific month. Are you on board or not? Give me, you know, let me know. And then I'll offer to take the photos. Sometimes just, you know, making that offer will make a brand to, who doesn't have the time to do that kind of thing um, and may not have participated will say, yeah, sure, we'll send you some product. You know, it just depends. Um, I, I am someone who likes to plan a lot of things in advance. So I actually keep a calendar of giveaways. So um, I always joke when, when I get an email or a phone call and someone says, hey, you want to do a giveaway like next week? That's the last thing I want to hear because I have this calendar that's going up for weeks and weeks. Um, I, I always kind of joke about it. And, you know, I, I do like to try and do some things on the fly, but if I have a calendar that, that is weeks out, it makes sense for me to talk to brands, you know, weeks out, get their commitment. Um, it also makes it easier on other brands to say yes. If I say, you know, this is going to be in you know, two months from now versus me asking for something for next week. Is there any, have, has there been any paid follower growth or, or social strategy or has most of your, your growth been organic on, on Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, to date, it's all been organic. We haven't paid for influencer posts to date either. I think it's something we, we might look to do going forward, but it's not something that we've done to date. You know, and I, I think you can tell when an account is using sometimes they're using those followers. I can think of many instances um, where I've looked at another account and I they have, you know, five times as many followers as we do. We're we're a growing brand and, and I'm I'm very pleased with our numbers, but sometimes I see these numbers and I think, man, how'd they get these tens of thousands of followers? And then I look at their posts and there's like very little engagement, significantly less engagement than we have. And I don't think that looks good on a brand um, when you can see that they, they, you know, somehow blew up to try and get all these followers, whether they are paid or whether they're bots. I don't, I don't know. But then they have no engagement. To our mind, that, that's, not, that's not a direction that we want to go in for sure. I, I completely agree. It, it absolutely defeats the purpose of, of social media in general. It's just yeah. really having a vanity metric that doesn't actually impact the business if you're not getting engagement or visibility. Yeah. So what other specific metrics are you looking at in the social media data that helps you improve your strategy and show that what you're doing is actually successful? Yeah. You know, return on investment is really tough with social media. I think it's it's that Something that everyone in in uh, the food business is looking for is how can I how can I tell? I think you know we've used before we've used coupon codes. 
we'll use those to try and see, you know, are, are people coming in from Instagram? Are they coming in from Facebook and making purchases? Um, and sometimes those are useful, but frankly, it, that, that can be tough. There are some anecdotal ways that we know that people are seeing um, things on our Instagram uh, feed, for example. Um, someone will I'll see someone who's pretty heavy commenter and then soon I see our product post, you know, on their feed. And that's really exciting. Um, But data is really where it's at for me. Um, And so trying to figure out what posts are making an impact, what is making people either more loyal to our product or are we finding new customers? Um, And it's still something that I'm chasing down. It, it, it's tough. It is tough. And one of my, I think one of my favorite quotes around the ROI of social is, what Gary Vee says about what's the ROI of a basketball. And to me, <laughs> it's negative because I would sprain my ankle. But to <laughs> Michael Jordan, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. So right. if you can use that tool effectively, then it's it's invaluable. But it's hard to quantify the ROI of said tool. So yeah. I, it's it's tough. That's also a tough explanation to, to sell to a, a controller or a CFO. But it I, is. I think it is. It, it's very true. But, you know, when, when I when I am putting together my calendar of, you know, posts and of themes for the month, for example, I'm always thinking, how are we going? First of all, we're, we're telling our story. As I tell the story, I want to, one, reach new potential customers who don't know about our brand. Two, and this is not in any order, I shouldn't number them, but, <laughs> but, but also we want to um, engender loyalty. So we want people to have loyalty to our brand, to love our brand. Um, it's one thing for someone to like your brand. It's one thing for someone to you know, in, enjoy your granola. It's another for them to be loyal to your brand. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build loyalty so that people will keep coming back over and over. So it's tough to measure loyalty, right? Um, it's tough to measure, did someone see this post and then go to Whole Foods Market or Mom's Organic? market or to Amazon and buy the granola. The tools just aren't there yet for us to make that clear, clear, you know, A to B correlation. So right now we just continue to work building the engagement, getting people excited about our products, telling the story and seeing people's reactions to that story. And as we see those reactions, that has to be in some ways indicative of you know, growing loyalty, growing awareness of our brand. And so that that's where my focus continues to be. Right. And I think social is, is put on this, this pedestal of you should be able to measure because you can see the impressions. <laughs> you should be able to measure that direct correlation or last yeah. point of attribution when you can't do that with a billboard or with TV. I mean, you can segment the markets, but right. it's, it's, I think, held on it. It'll get there. It definitely will get there. Oh, it's going to have to. It's going to have to. I think one one thing that was kind of interesting, I sometimes will play on our Instagram profile with putting up different, um, I change the links, the link in our bio, link in bio, always, it's kind of funny to me that the link in bio, um, but I'm constantly changing it on our Instagram feed to see what gets people excited. And I am always surprised at, because Instagram allows you to see how many clicks you're getting on that link, which is actually a really helpful piece of data that not a lot of people realize is even there. Um, And so I will play with that sometimes. And I've noticed sometimes scarcity will work. So for example, we have a seasonal line and three times a year we change out our seasonal flavor. In the spring, into the early summer, we have lemon pistachio. And as lemon pistachio is going out of season and the last of it is on Amazon, I start posting links, you know, last chance, lemon pistachio on Amazon. And that sort of scarcity really makes people click that link. Whereas, you know, when a new flavor comes out, 
that doesn't necessarily make people click the link. So there, there are certain different different tactics that, that we use or that I use to try and, and get people to, to click that link in bio because that's something that is sort of trackable. I think for e-commerce, it is a an extremely trackable, uh, you can measure basically all the points of touch. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, there's some dark traffic that comes from social that isn't sure. as quantifiable, but yeah, e-commerce wise, it's a lot easier. But are, are you mm-hmm. able to track any of the the product turn on the shelves through your social efforts or is there anything that you're doing in particular for a, a new uh, either a product launch within a, a new retail partner or um, a new a new product within a retail partner yeah so depending on where a partner might be if, if we're in if we've taken on a fairly big account and we want to really promote it so for example I guess it was last year we um, were onboarded into, we, we were in all the Wegmans in our local region, but then we were um, expanded into all the Wegmans. And so we were all the way up in Rochester, our bakeries in just outside of Baltimore, Maryland. So we weren't able to get to Rochester the way that we could get to, you know, all of, the, all of our locals here right in Baltimore. So I had uh, run a pretty big campaign on Facebook and uh, used the targeted ads in Facebook to try and hit people who lived um, in all those zip codes where all those new Wegmanses were for us and promoted them to audiences who had specific interests. Um, Facebook really allows you to narrowly pinpoint audiences. So I could find people who actually said that they liked Wegmans, who lived in, you know, this zip code, who, you know, like organic food, for example, and really push those out. We could not, again, we don't have the ability to then say, okay, did they, can we get a, you know, somehow track from Wegmans, get data on people who, you know, whose credit cards ran through the system who also saw this ad. I feel like at some point, Big Brother is going to give us that kind of data, whether we like it or not. But putting out those ads we knew was important to do because we didn't have that presence. Um, And we did pretty well with those ads and they had really good traction and got a lot of visibility and engagement. So again, it's not a one-to-one, we did this and then this happened, but we did this and we also saw, you know, that, that people were going to those stores. People were buying the granola. So again, not, not a perfect one-to-one, we did this, this happens, but it's important to do, it's important to raise that visibility in some way. Um, and we found that social media, is, you know, was the way to do it versus, you know, a billboard or an ad in a local magazine that people may or may never see. Right. And I noticed one of the things that you do on, on Facebook is uh, call out and thank many of the people that leave you positive reviews on Amazon. So oh, yeah. have you noticed that perpetuating more reviews in any way? Yep, <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. We're, we're a small company. We see every review, positive or negative. And we're very fortunate. We don't, we don't see very many negative. Um, but we do see a lot of positive reviews. And one positive review usually nets another positive review. And when we share those reviews... They definitely do expand from there. I think um, we know our granola is delicious. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. Our granola is really delicious. It is. But, I'll, I'll vouch for that. Oh, did you? Good. Did you get a chance to try it? Yep. The the apple quinoa. It, it, it mm-hmm. is delicious for anyone who, who doesn't know out there. <laughs> it's, it's good to hear from a from a professional. Um, <laughs> but we, we know it's delicious. Um, we can say all day, and I can say all day it's delicious. But what you just did, Alex, you said it's delicious. Coming from you, it's going to hold a lot more weight um, than it is coming from me. And so we know that. Um, and, and so the more that we can get other people to see other people's verifications of that, there's there's 
all kinds of studies around the importance of that third-party verification, um, that that third-party review. And so we we love sharing those reviews. We read every review. We see them all. We love them all. We love sharing them with the team. Um, but we love for our customers to see them and potential customers to see them too. So we're we're um, always looking for ways to get more reviews, um, but in an organic way. We, we don't pay for reviews. We want people to really give honest reviews. And I, it's smart. You've, I know Amazon has really cracked down on, on I guess, incentivized reviews and, and, mm-hmm. and fake reviews because mm-hmm. it really has become a big problem on Amazon. But with the way you guys are doing it is just really thanking and highlighting that positive feedback, which is one, a marketing tool in itself. And two, it, it just perpetuates that constant positive feedback, which is, is well done. I, I can tell that it's, it's working for you guys. Oh, thank you. It's it's we we love to see them. We love to read them, and we have a bulletin board. We have a little collaboration room. We have a bulletin board, and every week I'm posting, you know, one or two really nice reviews there. And the team loves them. The people who make bake package and sell the granola see those reviews too. So it's it's you know it's really nice. It's a feel good thing for for our team too. So, what's your opinion on Twitter on its effectiveness, its future? You're just overall mm. gut feel. So I think there's a place for Twitter. Um, I think it's a great place for conversation where someone um, has a quick question for us. Sometimes we'll get some questions there. If someone is, you know, has just discovered us or they, you know, or they want to post photos, that's great. And I stay active on Twitter, certainly to respond. I think as a brand, you know, we should be responsible to respond to um, any sort of messages that come up on Twitter. But generally, in terms of expressing a lot of messages or using it for big promotions, we're just not seeing the, a whole lot of impact there. Um, we continue to be on Twitter, and I don't see us leaving Twitter anytime soon. But it's kind of an afterthought for us at this point, um, for better or worse. Yeah, it's tough. There's still so many people that use it actively, but it, it just, mm-hmm. as a business itself, it's just a little, a little sketchy, I would say. <laughs> You, you said it, not me. But um, <laughs> but on the other hand, um, some people want to use Twitter to express really quickly that they love our brand. And I want to make sure that we thank them. And so, you know, I think being responsive on Twitter is is probably my, my most important task that I do on Twitter. Not so much the messages that I put out, that we do, you know, put messages out there. Um, but the most important thing that I do is respond. And that, it's super important across all platforms, which I just looking at, at all of your social profiles, you guys have done a, a great job of of responding quickly and making sure that people know that their voices are heard, which is another yeah. huge component of social. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this has been an outstanding interview. And I can tell you definitely know your know your stuff when it comes to, to social media and marketing in this space. So uh, I've got a few questions that I ask each of our guests. The first one is, do you have a favorite marketing book that you like to recommend to people? You know, it's funny when I think of, of marketing books. It, so I, I went to school for fine art, right? I went to school and I, I got my hands dirty. I never touched a computer. I never like talked about marketing. So it's kind of foreign to me. And as I got more into this world, the book that I probably think about and kind of reference the most when it comes to marketing is kind of like the anti-marketing book, um, No Logo by Naomi Klein. It's a great book, but it... It talks about the way that brands are are inauthentic and the way that we're bombarded with messages. And this was actually even before um, the internet was really booming. Um, so it, it was very prophetic in a lot of ways. But it just reminds me of why I want to be authentic and why I want to buy from brands that are authentic. And I think it sort of helps me sort of craft more real messages And when I think about sort of the, the, the contrary side of that. Well, I've never heard of that one. And I love hearing about new books. So I will definitely check that one out. 
No, yeah. uh, who's the author of that again? Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein. I will definitely link mm-hmm. that up in the show notes. And last question here. So what's a piece of advice that you would love to go back and give yourself when you were first starting your current job? Mm-hmm. There, there's an expression, I'm probably going to butcher it, but if you don't, uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Um, plan, 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 plan. The, by taking an hour and planning things out and putting together a little bit of a calendar, I am so much more effective than when I try and do things by the seat of my pants. And so reminding myself, stop and plan. I'm always more effective that way. And I think a lot of brands who have really good, strong messaging, you can tell they're working on a plan. They're not doing seat of the pants kind of stuff. Definitely. And that's great advice. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, Lauren. So where can people go to find out more about Michelle's Granola and all the great things you have going on on social and the awesome seasonal products that you guys have? You can find our website is michellesgranola.com. And that's Michelle with one L. That's M-I-C-H. E-L-E-S granola.com is our website. Uh, Our Instagram for people who love to look at beautiful pictures of granola, like myself, um, can find us (laughs) at Michelle's underscore granola on Instagram. And that's probably the best place to find uh, lots of great information about what we have going on too. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Lauren. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Hey folks, I know you're crazy busy, so I especially appreciate you giving us the time to listen to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, go over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button. We really appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to hanging out with you guys next week. 